I really want to encourage you to check out one of our ethos communities. I know it's hard. It's easy to come to church for the most part, but to go to a community where people are already close and tight and you visit, it may seem odd, like you're breaking into a family. But people are always um, flowing in and flowing out of these groups, and these groups are encouraging, and they have, they, we carry one another, encourage one another. I have felt that they have carried me um, through th- this past year, and we've carried one another in our trials and hardships. I um, just encourage you to check out one of those ethos communities. Um, I'm going to sit this morning as I'm still dealing with health issues and figuring out medication, and Pastor John is always ready for a, a backup to come up here if I can't finish. But what's interesting is that we all have weaknesses, right, in life, and it's really, it's really encouraging for me that I can put my weakness on display before you right now. I was battling with God all week. I'm like, God, I do not want to sit. It just, it's just not cool. But I have to. And so we are going to get into God's word. It is going to be good. We are going to study something this morning that my guess is half of you have never heard. And after you hear it, you'll wonder, is that really true? Well, it's God's word. Before we get in, let's pray. Father, when we are weak, you are strong. And we have a variety of weaknesses in our own lives, even sin struggles that we come here with this morning, relationship struggles, and a lot of problems. And some of us have health issues. And we just ask that you would be with us and encourage us and that you've not left us. And as long as we continue to cling to you and our weakness, you will show forth your strength. And we ask you to speak through your word now. May it be encouraging. In Christ's name, amen. Is there a place on this earth that you would consider utopia? It's like almost perfect as if heaven has come down to earth. Many children would say utopia is basically Disney World with princesses and rides and cotton candy. But many parents would say it's probably the opposite of utopia, if you know what I mean. Right? So what is utopia for you? Well, some of you may think, well, just living in a, maybe a small town and a a house in the country, or maybe for you, it's living in a far off island. My 10-year-old said, uh, Rosemary Beach, Florida is utopia. I don't know if you've ever been there, the uh, white beaches, the pretty homes. Uh, They have a place called the Sugar Shack where you can load up on sugar. And for him, it's utopia. Someone once referred to a Canacook camp as utopia. I don't know if you've ever heard of Canacook camp. That's the camp uh, in Missouri where I was saved. I, I became a Christian there. And I want you to listen to a description of Canacook camp. It comes pretty close to utopia on this earth. Listen to this. No internet, no television, no radio, no cell phones. Big hills and broad fields on the shores of a lake in the Ozark Mountains in southern Missouri. Jet ski, zip lines, ski boats, camping ropes, course, kayaks, canoes, tents, stargazing, basketball courts, and battlefields, full days of practice and play and nights of worship, and clean fun at parties where the music is wholesome and nothing unseemly or inappropriate happens. 
People with broken lives arrive at Kanakuk, and they're in that realm of being loved by people who believe, rejoice, obey, and worship, and the happiness and purity of the place is overpowering. Those who are hurt are surrounded by people trusting God and loving them, and the good news of Jesus Christ believed and lived and transforms, heals, restores, renews. It's close to paradise. And it was in that context where I came to faith in Jesus Christ. But as awesome as Canacook is and was for me, we all know that on this earth there is no perfect place. There is no utopia, as there are still a variety of problems and issues out there and in here. We're not naive. We know there, there is not going to be a heaven on earth or a perfect place or utopia at this point. But here we go. Here's what you may have never heard before. The perfect society and utopia will one day be on this earth. I said earth. I'm not talking about heaven. And I'm not talking about a perfect utopia created by humans. There is coming a time. This is the part where half of you may have never heard this before. You may be scratching your heads after this. There is coming a time in the future when Jesus Christ will reign on this earth for 1,000 years on this earth. And it's called uh, the millennium. And during that time, there will be peace, abundance, justice, joy, and love will abound like never before. It, it will come a time uh, near the end of the world. It's not the new heaven and the earth, but it is something called the millennium. And if you've never heard of the millennium before, from the Bible, this will be a great introductory study. And this morning, we're going to have more study, more teaching, because it's a new idea. Let's go ahead and turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Last week in chapter 19, we saw Jesus come back on a white war horse along with his army clothed uh, with a robe dipped in blood ascribed with the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Do you remember this? A, a sharp sword came from his mouth as he struck down the nations. His enemies gathered for battle, but Jesus ended the war in an instant and the birds fed on the flesh of the defeated foes. The day that we have longed for has finally arrived. Jesus Christ has conquered the enemy and he has returned physically to this earth. What happens next? We have longed for Christ to return. We have his now return on this earth. What happens next? Let's stand together and read Revelation 20. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain, 
And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of his Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. You may be seated. In the book of Revelation, this is the most known passage, it is the most debated passage, and it is the most controversial passage. And I have a feeling that today is going to create more questions than there are answers. But hopefully, as you ask questions, you'll go deeper into God's word. Uh, there are three main views. Let me put them up for you right now. These are confusing. Um, now you've totally shut off your brain, right? You've tuned out. Uh, premillennialism, postmillennialism, anomalism. Now, let me just leave those up for a second. I'm going to be covering premillennialism, and I'm not going to cover the other two views because they are wrong. <laughs> Who are you laughing about? <laughs> hey, we're a church who believes premill, and there are believers throughout ages, even today, even in this church, who hold to the other two. Uh, premillennialism means that Jesus comes back before the millennium. And the other two views, postmillennialism, uh, holds that. Christ will return after the millennium, and Amil holds that there is no future millennium, and what follows in Revelation is what's happening now. Like I said, believers hold to these three, and you can be a Christian and follow Christ, and we cannot agree on this. Um, but you may wonder, why, why do you hold the pre-mill view? I mean, I could say, I went to Dallas Seminary, I paid a lot of money for that education, so why change my view now? But... But I think why I would hold the pre-mill is that it follows in the sequence. It follows in the sequence of Revelation. It's what comes next. Christ comes back, and now he is reigning in chapter 20, and I'm just trying to plainly read uh, the text. So let's get into it. And we're not going to say much about it from Revelation, but we're going to say two main things. The first thing is this. Satan is finally locked up. Let's do this. Verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain, and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. All right, an angel comes holding a key and a great chain. The key is to a place called the abyss or a bottomless pit. 
And the angel grabs Satan, who is called the dragon and the ancient serpent, which is an allusion to the snake in the Garden of Eden. So the angel seizes the devil, throws him into a bottomless pit for a thousand years. In chapter 19, verse 20, we saw the beast, who is the Antichrist, along with the false prophet, who is the sidekick of the Antichrist. They were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. They are tossed alive into hell permanently. But here, the devil is thrown into a place called the abyss, or the bottomless pit, where he'll be tormented for 1,000 years, and then he'll be thrown into the permanent lake of fire. You could view this bottomless pit as a holding cell for Satan, as he is shut and sealed in until his final judgment. The devil will be bound for 1,000 years. Think of all the problems that Satan causes in your life right now and all the havoc he has caused throughout time. He's going to be shut in for 1,000 years. Okay? He's shut in. Well, what's the second part of the millennium? Well, the second part is that believers are reigning with Christ. Look at it. Verse 4 through 6. Then I saw thrones and seated on them where those who had the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus, for the word of God, and who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Let's try to simplify this. Who will be reigning with Christ for 1,000 years? And the answer is all believers of all time. Old Testament believers, New Testament believers. We have here mentioned the martyrs who were killed during the tribulation who came back to life and they have glorified bodies. We have those who came with Christ in chapter 19 from Old Testament believers, New Testament believers. They came back, get this, once again, in glorified bodies. Glorified bodies means bodies like Jesus. But there are also believers, this is where it gets kind of tricky, who survived the tribulation, were not martyred, and they, you may look at me funny here, they enter the millennium in non-glorified bodies. So who are the believers in the millennium? All of them. Martyrs in glorified bodies. Old Testament, New Testament saints who have died in glorified bodies. And believers who passed through the tribulation and were not, mur not martyred, but came into the millennium in non-glorified bodies. That is who is living during this time so far in the millennium. The unbelievers do not come back until the second uh, resurrection after the millennium. Now, let me give you a verse. There's several verses I gave you, but I just want to give you one from Revelation 5. Let me put this up for you. Revelation 5 it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people. And nation, and you've made them a kingdom, and priests to our God. And you see the last part. And they shall reign on the earth. 
we have finally arrived at that point where the believers are reigning on earth. Revelation 21 through 6, we have seen that Satan is bound and believers are reigning with Jesus. I'm sorry that we cannot do a Q&A right now, but if we could, you may wonder why the millennium? Why can't we just go straight into the new heavens and the new earth? Why the millennium? So please allow me to speculate for a moment. How about this? A simple answer would say, it is a fulfillment of prophecy. We have in the Old Testament several prophecies of a ruler coming in the line of David who will reign on the throne of David forever. And that ruler is Jesus Christ. And here he is reigning on the earth physically. Now, I don't want to get into other prophecies because there's also prophecies of maybe Israel being back also during this time. But that's kind of speculating as well, and I know there's a lot of disagreements on that. But there's Old Testament prophecy that can be fulfilled, and it seems like it could only be fulfilled in the millennium. So that's one possibility. How about another one? It returns us to an Eden-like environment. We'll see in a moment how a lot of the things described in the millennium are kind of like Eden, the Garden of Eden. And thirdly, and this is the one that I think may ring true, it will show us that God's just or God's judgments are just because get this, during the millennium, Satan is bound for a thousand years. He will not tempt believers, right? But people during this time will still sin and rebel against God. And when God brings his judgment, we will say, God, your judgments are just. Once again, if this was a Q&A session, you would say, I want to know more. Please tell me more. Where can I learn more? Well, that's all we got right there from the book of Revelation. If you want to know more about the millennium, you must broaden out from the book of Revelation. And as you broaden out, you will find portions of your Bible that you will scratch your head and you will say, this doesn't sound like heaven and it doesn't sound like conditions on this earth. So when is it? You ever read part of the Bible and you go, that certainly doesn't sound like heaven. But it also doesn't sound like conditions on the earth now. And I'm throwing out the possibility that those portions of the Bible may, or most likely, are talking about the millennium. And we're going to look at one of those portions this morning as we're going to break away from Revelation, and I trust that you have skills to turn to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, let's do that. Table of contents, look it up. Look at the person next to you, Isaiah 65. The context is that the Israelites were suffering in exile in Babylon for their own sins. And while in exile, they offered up a prayer crying for help. And the Lord heard their cry and gave them some serious perspective as they give them a glimpse into the future. Isaiah 65, I'm going to start with verse 17. I'll read this to you. 
For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. Nor, no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. So far, this is a description of the new heavens and the new earth. We will talk about the new heavens and the new earth when we hit Revelation 21. But let me give you something that may help you as you read your Bibles. Sometimes when the prophets looked into the future, they were not able to distinguish the near future from the far future. And so as Isaiah branches out, looks into the future, he sees the eternal future of the new heavens and the new earth. But he also, as I'm going to argue, he also sees conditions during the millennium as they all blend together as he looks into the future. Now what follows are the conditions during what we've considered the millennial kingdom. And I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. You will have to read it and wrestle with it and struggle with it yourself. But I'm going to tell you some things that you may have never heard before. But, and I think it's describing the millennial kingdom when Christ is reigning here with his people. Number one, long life. People are going to start living longer again. Look at verse 20 of Isaiah 65. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. Now you may kind of wonder like, oh, okay, I'm really confused now because if believers are in their glorified bodies, how are people still dying? Remember, Believers during the tribulation enter the millennium without glorified bodies. Those people, those believers, as well as their children, will still die. But they'll live longer. And there'll be no more infant deaths. There's nothing more painful that we experience as, as, as believers. It is so hard within our church when we have babies who die. That will not happen during the millennium. In fact, those who die at 100 years old will be considered young because people are living longer. And those who die uh, younger are probably dying because of something that has to do with their sin. Christ will be reigning on this earth. Satan will be bound. People will still sin. And those who do, some of them who do, will die at a young age. And if they die around 100, we say, wow, they died at such a young age because people will live longer. Let's keep going. Not only will people live longer, but justice will prevail. Verse 21. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. 
So here's the deal. God's people will enjoy their vineyards and their children and their houses because no one will mess with them. Wouldn't you just like that in life? You say, I just wish, wish that people would stop messing with me. My life would be so happy if people would leave me alone. Well, justice will prevail on the earth because Christ will be reigning and he will, he will crush evil quickly. So those during this time who want to do evil will be kept and checked and governed with quick justice as Christ and his people will be reigning. You may wonder, well, who's doing the bad stuff? Well, it's not the believers in their glorified bodies. It's not the believers who enter the millennium in their non-glorified bodies. It's the believers' children. Can I pause for a moment and say, just because your parents are believers doesn't mean you're a believer. I mean, does that need, can we just say that? Like, God has no grandchildren, only children. And it, you have to follow and trust Christ yourself and not just kind of coast off your parents' faith. That was, that's going to be pretty evident during the millennium as these children of unbelievers, some of them, will be rebellious. But justice will prevail. Another cool thing during the millennium is that prayers will be answered immediately. Look at verse 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. Now, another interesting thing during the millennium seems to be quick answered prayer. I mean, right now we, we labor in prayer, we wrestle in prayer, but there's coming a time when prayer will be answered even while we pray. And that's the time when the Lord Jesus will be reigning on the earth. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to some of you right now, and you, and you may be wondering, do you really believe that? Come on. Long life, quick justice, prayers answered quickly, and yet it's not heaven. Do you really believe that? And, and, I, and I'm just being totally honest with you. I, I, I do. I do. And I'm going to give you some few verses to follow that I think kind of just seals the deal for me. And, and that has to do with animals. So for those of you who love animals are going to love these passages that I'm going to read about animals. Because during this time, Animals will be safe. Animals will be safe. We'll finish this chapter off, then we'll, then we'll jump around a little bit. Look at verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Can, can you picture that? Okay, a wolf and a lamb are eating together, which is amazing. The lion eats straw, no longer meat, so they don't need to kill. And I'm going to share some more passages. Let me put this in up one. This will make you, make you squirm a little bit. The wolf shall dwell with a lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. So the wolf's best friends with the lamb, the leopard hangs out with the goat, and the, and the calves and the lions are bud, and, and a little child is leading them. So right now, at our house, we tell our kids, feed the dogs, feed the rabbits. And that's what we do in our house right now. And my wife ends up doing most of it because the kids don't listen. But during the millennium, it'll be like, I want you to go out there and feed your lion. 
and feed your leopard. And, and it's, what's happening, it seems like nature is going back to the way that it was supposed to be in the Garden of Eden. And one more passage from Isaiah uh, 11, 7 through 9. It says, The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the whole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. <laughs> you got a little baby, you got a little toddler out there playing near the hole of a cobra. Mom and dad will not freak out, especially when he sticks his hand in the nest of a venomous snake, which may seem brutal, but once again, it seems as if we are going back to Eden-like conditions. Now, I know this is a lot to take in, especially if you've never heard it before, but this is the, the Millennium Kingdom, and, and what I don't want you to do, this is what I don't want you to do, I don't want you to start talking and, and getting excited and, and freaking out about all the details uh, because what you're going to do is that you're going to get more excited about long life, justice prevailing, prayers answered, and animals being safe. But that's not the main thing. Do you understand? The main thing of the millennium is that Jesus Christ is reigning. And his people are reigning with him. That's the main point of the millennium. Do you understand? This is a big deal. We were born into this world of sin, Adam and Eve, and all ever since then we've been falling into sin and separated from God, and Jesus Christ comes, lives a perfect life, right? We were created to reign, and we're not reigning. He lives a perfect life, dies, buried, raised again. And get this, those who put their faith in Jesus will reign with Jesus. That's what we look forward to. He is the king. But you will not reign with Christ unless you are submitting to his kingship right now. Those who do not submit to the king now will not reign with the king later. And so if you find yourself getting all excited, I can't wait to reign with Christ, and you're not submitting to the kingship of Christ right now, I will give you no confidence that you know the king. Sure. As believers, we do foolish things. Foolish things. But we put our faith and we repent and we continue to trust in Christ. But if you're here this morning and you have some kingship issues with the Lord Jesus, examine your heart where you're at and understand that those who will reign with the king later are those who submit to the king now. And as believers who trust Christ, we want to find our hearts and our minds and our actions submitting to the King right now. It's going to be a great day when Christ comes back. It's going to be a great time as we go into the Millennium Kingdom and all the way into the new heavens and the earth. But for day to day, we submit to the King now. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I do ask 
that when we find our hearts off, that we would submit to you. You're the one who restored us when we were lost, and you brought us to you, King Jesus. And Lord, I do ask that as we continue to trust you and follow you, we'll be about your kingdom and your ways. As you are the one who reigns and you are the one who rules, and I just ask that you would receive all the glory and the praise and the honor. In Christ's name, amen.